Hello and welcome to the Top Story, a podcast with headlines of the day from our correspondents around the world. I'm Tian Yu. Coming up in this edition, Ecuadorian President Daniel Noboa has declared that the country faces an internal armed conflict following an escalation of violence. The UN General Assembly has gathered to debate the use of veto by the United States in the Security Council, and the new French Prime Minister says he sees his appointment as a symbol of confidence in young people. We start with the Americas. Masked gunmen have interrupted a live TV broadcast in Ecuador as President Daniel Noboa issued a decree declaring that the country has entered an internal armed conflict following an escalation of violence. The armed men took over the studio in Guayaquil, located 400 kilometers from the capital Quito. Shots were heard as the intruders carrying weapons stormed the studio. The attack is the latest incident in Ecuador, which is already under a state of emergency after one of its most dangerous gang leaders escaped prison. Dan Collins has more. Special forces police officers raided the TV channel, arresting armed gangsters who had stormed the studio during a live broadcast. Hooded and gun-toting gangsters invaded the studio of a major television channel in Ecuador's largest city, Guayaquil, on Tuesday. Viewers watched the attack live on TV as terrified journalists and camera operators were forced to the floor by the armed men. Around 20 men carrying pistols, automatic weapons, sticks of dynamite and grenades stormed the headquarters of the TC television network. Videos on social media showed staffers pleading for help as the outlaws rampaged through the building. In response, President Daniel Noboa declared the country in internal armed conflict. This means gang members can be combated by the military as terrorists. On Monday, Noboa, who took office in November, declared a 60-day state of emergency. I've given clear and precise instructions to the military and the police commanders to intervene in control of the prisons. I've just signed a decree of state of emergency, so the armed forces can have all the political and legal support in their actions. I call on the citizens to show their support to the armed forces, because this is everyone's fight. That decree was prompted by the prison escape of the country's most dangerous criminal on Sunday. Since then, several police officers have been kidnapped and car bombs detonated. A huge manhunt is underway, with thousands of soldiers and police searching for Adolfo Macias, known as Fito, the convicted leader of the powerful drug gang Los Troneros. Macias escaped from jail in the port city of Guayaquil ahead of a scheduled prison transfer to a maximum security facility. President Noboa has said he will not negotiate with, quote, terrorists. And his government has blamed the recent prison violence on its plans to build a new high-security prison and transfer jailed gang leaders. The prison service has not released information about its guards who were overpowered and held hostage by knife-wielding gang members in several prisons on Monday. That was Dan Collins on violence in Ecuador. The United States is hosting a series of events to mark 45 years of diplomatic ties with China. The Carter Center in Georgia has held a conference to look back on history and explore the future. Hendrik Sabrandi reports. 
We're at the Carter Center in Atlanta, named for U.S. President Jimmy Carter, who together with Chinese Vice Premier Deng Xiaoping played such an instrumental role in normalizing relations between the U.S. and China beginning on January 1st, 1979. That date and this 45-year anniversary is being marked by a conference that's examining the state of relations between the two countries. It's been safe to say an eventful 45 years. One of President Carter's greatest legacies, his center says, is more than four decades of peace and prosperity in East Asia. But the relationship between the U.S. and China has not always been smooth or easy. There's been real tension between the two countries over the past few years. This forum comes at a time when the relationship appears to be back on the upswing. Still, there's lots in the diplomatic, military, and economic realm to discuss. China's ambassador to the U.S. and the U.S. ambassador to China, both speaking remotely to attendees, acknowledge the common interests and major differences that exist between their countries. They said open dialogue is very important. Taking stock of the past 45 years, we believe that the most important inspiration is that China and the United States stand to gain from cooperation and lose from co confrontation. And working together is our only correct choice. The broadest consensus is that we should make the China-U.S. relationship work and not mess it up. We pay tribute to President Carter today for that monumental achievement. We look back on it 45 years later to assess that it was correct in every way. President Carter's stewardship of that relationship in the very beginning was critical through the ensuing decades, through some of the better times and some of the worst times. Looking back, we can take some inspiration for what we have to do now. As China's ambassador said, give and take between the two sides is critically important. And there's plenty of that here involving both U.S. and Chinese experts who are talking about a host of different topics, including the history of U.S.-China relations, political and military security, trade, technology, and climate. Just as President Carter, who convened the first Carter Forum on U.S.-China relations back in 2012, would have it. That was Hendrix Brandy reporting from the Carter Center in Atlanta. Turning to the United Nations, the General Assembly has gathered to debate the use of veto by the United States in the Security Council. China's Deputy Ambassador to the UN expressed the country's disappointment and regret over the U.S. veto of a resolution calling for an immediate ceasefire in the Gaza Strip. The General Assembly's president says the immediate priority must be saving civilian lives. Jody Jacobs reports from New York. Countries used this General Assembly meeting to speak out on the situation in Gaza that's been ongoing for more than 90 days. China called on Israel to immediately stop the fighting. It says the indiscriminate warfare causing mass civilian casualties in Gaza must end to avoid regional instability. International peace and security are being threatened. Only a ceasefire in Gaza can fundamentally eliminate the spillover effect of the conflict and prevent the wider Middle East from being dragged into war and conflict. Upholding the two-state solution requires an immediate ceasefire. Israel's ambassador to the UN, Gilad Erdogan, criticized the United Nations, saying that every UN agency and body has been weaponized against Israel. He also criticized South Africa for accusing Israel of genocide against Palestinians at the International Court of Justice.
Addressing the media flanked by ambassadors from the Arab group of countries, Riyad Mansour, the Palestinian permanent observer to the UN, said that this is not about Israel's security. It's about Gaza's destruction. Mansour welcomed South Africa's case against Israel at the International Court of Justice. Nobody would question that a country like South Africa, which defeated apartheid, that it is not on the top of the mountain of, uh, of, of morality and respect for human rights and the rights of people in general. So we are grateful to them. Meanwhile, the General Assembly was briefly disrupted on Tuesday morning as a group of protesters managed to gain access into the UN building, led by rabbis for ceasefire that demanded the US stop preventing the UN from taking urgent action for an immediate and permanent ceasefire in Gaza. The UN Security Council is expected to meet again on Friday to discuss the mounting civilian casualties in Gaza. By some estimates, around 70% of the people killed and wounded are women and children. That was Jody Jacobs reporting from the United Nations headquarters. In China, Moldavian President Mohamed Moise is in China for his first state visit since taking office in November. He's the first head of state to visit in the new year. China and the Maldives signed a free trade agreement in 2017. President Moise says his administration is ready to implement the deal. Prior to his arrival in Beijing, the Moldavian president visited the free trade zone in Xiamen. His state visit is also expected to boost Chinese tourism in the Maldives. Chinese ambassador to the Maldives Wang Lixing has expressed hope that bilateral relations will set on a new journey following Moise's visit. Dou Hongyu has more. The Chinese ambassador described the state visit by President Mohamed Moise as a historic event that will build on the past and chart a new course for the future of China-Maldives relations. She said so not only because Moise's visit comes six years after the last state visit to China by Maldivian president, but also because the cooperation outcomes between the two countries have given people confidence about future bilateral ties following the visit. One of the examples she mentioned is the China-Maldives Friendship Bridge, built by a Chinese company under the Belt and Road Initiative. In August 2018, thousands of people gathered to celebrate the opening of the bridge that they had dreamed about for generations. It's the first bridge connecting Maldivian islands, marking the end of an era when people could only travel among the islands by ferries, which can be dangerous. Wang said the bridge, along with other cooperation projects like the expansion of the Vilana International Airport in the Maldivian capital, has brought benefits to the Maldivians. The projects have made it easier for people to get around, boosted tourism and aviation, and made life better for the locals. They've had a transformative impact on the development of the Maldives and brought real benefits to its people. She listed many aspects of further cooperation between the two countries, including more transportation infrastructure, museum renovations, improved medical conditions, and development of the digital economy. When talking about tourism, the main pillar of the Maldivian economy, the Chinese ambassador said the number of Chinese tourists to the archipelago has been rebounding since the beginning of last year. Looking to the future, she said China also hopes to see more tourists from the Maldives. 
Although many Chinese tourists visit the Maldives, not many Maldivians travel to China. We want to promote more visits from Maldivians to China because there are numerous provinces and cities with abundant tourism resources that would appeal to Maldivian tourists. Our mountains and ice and snow tourism sites are sure to be attractive to Maldivian tourists. Many consider President Mohamed Moise's visit to China as a pragmatic trip. It's expected to align the development goals of the two countries and extend the benefits to a wider population. That was a report on the opportunities that come with the Moldavian president's visit to China. Finally, in Europe, France's new prime minister says he sees his appointment as a symbol of confidence in young people. 34-year-old Gabriel Attal is the youngest person to hold the position in modern French history. He succeeds Elizabeth Bourne, who stepped down over immigration issues. Tony Waterman reports from Paris. In his very first speech as France's new prime minister, Gabriel Attal said he wanted to take control of France and unleash its full potential. At just 34 years old, he is the youngest prime minister in French history, but he vowed to leverage that, saying he will fight tirelessly for France's youth and middle class. Je pense au particulier, aux classes moyennes. I'm thinking in particular of the middle classes, the beating heart of our country, the makers of the greatness and strength of our French nation. These French people who sometimes no longer know where they fit. The French doubt, but deep down I know they hope too, because deep down, deep in our consciences, as French people in love with our country, we know France will never be synonymous with decline. Atal has been serving as the education and youth minister since July, so not a very long time. But he is widely popular here in France. A recent Ipsos poll found him to be the most popular politician in the country, something that could help him inject new life into President Emmanuel Macron's centrist government, which has been pummeled by widespread criticism of its recent policy reforms. There were weeks of mass protests last spring after pension reform, which raised the retirement age, uh, which was a very unpopular move, but it was pushed through without a vote in parliament. And people took to the streets again just last month after a new immigration law tightening access to public services was passed with the backing of the far right. Both of those policies ultimately led to the undoing of Atal's predecessor, Elizabeth Bourne. In a social media post, Macron said he knew he could count on Atal's energy and commitment to implement his policies. But ultimately, Macron is keen to get his party back into the good graces of French voters if his government is to fend off the far right in June's European elections. Polls are showing that Marine Le Pen's far right is gaining popularity with up to a 10 percentage point advantage. That being said, Atal will be facing many of the same challenges as his predecessor, presiding over a government that does not have an absolute majority in parliament. That was Tony Waterman on the changes in a French government. Recapping today's headlines, Ecuadorian President Daniel Noboa has declared that the country faces an internal armed conflict following an escalation of violence. The UN General Assembly has gathered to debate the use of veto by the United States in the Security Council. And the new French Prime Minister says he sees his appointment as a symbol of confidence in young people. 
And that's it for this edition of the Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports, and culture, you can subscribe to the Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Tian Yu. Thank you for listening.